Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. How would you describe your relationship with health and fitness? Perhaps you're like me and you make extreme changes when your health gets worse than you want it to be. Or maybe you're like today's guest and you have a firm personal fitness identity built upon foundational lifestyle habits. Luke Dupron is an online weight loss coach for busy entrepreneurs and the founder of the Live Great Lifestyle. In this conversation, he shares his passion for health first and fitness second. He tackles a wide range of topics from sleep's impact on productivity to mistakes entrepreneurs make with their health. Luke is a firm advocate for making decisions that will impact your life. I hope you'll find something in this conversation that will improve your own relationship with your health. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 625. Luke, welcome to Getting Work to Work. It is a pleasure talking with you. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you for uh, the invitation to come on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I'm curious about is curiosity. And one of the questions that I have of everyone is, what fuels your curiosity? I, I actually am a very curious person. And at sometimes I think we, I almost have to try to tame that as a, as a business owner. Yeah. Um, because man, there's just a lot to explore in this world. And um, I know for me, that there's a lot of growth in doing things that are uncomfortable, mm-hmm. trying new activities. And so that obviously is built from um, having a curious mind. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You said that, you know, taming curiosity or even, uh, I think the, the word you used was uncomfortable experiences. You know, how, how do you get comfortable with uncomfortable experiences? Well, uh, I don't know that you do. I think it's, recognizing that ooh there's if an experience possibly makes you uncomfortable i think that is an an invitation to lean in and attempt something um and i think those are like really good little um positive flags of hey maybe i should test and try this and um you know my personal life that's led to um going into an acting class uh you know <laughs> doing things like jujitsu and all all sorts of things come from you know, uh, exposure to something new. And if you haven't tried it, you don't know. And oftentimes, you know, the unknown is going to have a level of, of fear of nerves. And, um, if you have a curious mind, I think that's how you can step into those things. Interesting. What, what said in your mind, Ooh, acting. Yes, I'm going to do that. (laughs) Which is funny enough. I had to do an audition last night, which was the most ridiculous thing ever. And, uh, it was one where I sent it to the casting director and said, please burn after watching. And, (laughs) uh, I don't remember the exact antithesis of, of what inspired me to do it. I know there was an interest and then I know I was nervous at the idea of it. And I thought, okay, that's a good indicator that I need to do this. And again, this has led to some public speaking type things. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember leaving that acting class. uh, This is years ago, the first time. Mm -hmm. And I got home and took my shirt off. And I thought, oh my God, I smell worse than a jujitsu class because (laughs) I was so nervous as somebody who, you know, didn't grow up doing theater. And uh, uh, it was, it was, that was again, a great indicator of like, all right, it's, it's time to go back to that. Yeah. (laughs) See what I'm loving about this, Luke, is you you seem to be very in touch with you know yourself and and 
almost know, you know how to listen to what is going on inside so that you know what you should and should not do. Yeah. And this is, you know, that idea of like trusting your gut. And obviously we want to be safe and don't do, you know, things that are going to put us in physical harm. Um, but oftentimes I think, again, we can use the word curiosity to push through fear, but you know, most things that you try that you've never done, like there's going to be a level of hesitation. You know, I just took a friend, uh, a friend out visiting and, uh, he, he expressed interest in jujitsu and I took him to a jujitsu class for the first time. And, you know, afterwards he was like, oh, that was, that was better than I thought. I was, he was really nervous and he goes, I just thought it was going to be a bunch of, you know, meathead killers in there. And he's like, <laughs> which there are, I mean, there's some, you know, there's some bad dudes in there that can, that are, uh, you know, they're, they're legitimately dangerous. Um, but everybody has, uh, you know, they leave their ego at the door and they're there to, to learn. They're there to, to teach others. And, you know, for him, that was an eye-opening experience that if like, he wouldn't have done, it might open up the door for um, a new hobby, a new sport. Um, you know, and, and again, the, who knows what the domino effect of, of that would be to, to go into a, a gym in, in Colorado where he's from, yeah. you know, whether that's, you know, you can meet your wife there and uh, your, your, your spouse. So I think there's untold um, ramifications by stepping in and trying new things. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too, is one of the areas in which you work is health and fitness. And if there's nothing that inspires people's fear, it's that phrase. <laughs> health sure. and fitness. Yeah. And, you know, I do actually tell people like, like you do have to kind of explore it from a point of curiosity. And oftentimes, you know, if you're intimidated to go to the gym, like that right there could be the reason to do it. Just the fact that you're afraid of doing it. Forget the the health outcomes and the the the, the weight outcomes that most people are trying to step in with. Just the the mere fact that you're intimidated by the idea of doing it, like that's reason enough alone to move forward with it. Yeah. So how would you describe your relationship with health and fitness? Is it has it always been something that you've been in touch with, or is it is it a newer relationship? So, uh, you know, I've been in this industry for a long time and I, I went to school and got a degree in kinesiology. So it has always been a passion of mine, but I often tell people, I feel like a little bit of an outsider on the, on the in the fitness community in the sense of, um, you know, things like bodybuilding shows like that has no interest to me. And, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, again, in respect to all of those who do that, um, mm -hmm. but that just, it seems silly to me. Like that's just not the relationship that I have with it. So I definitely would say I have more of a health first fitness second approach, and this is what I'm, you know, bringing towards my clients. And, um, I think we should, we, we all deserve and should have a underlying level of health and fitness to support us in every facet of our life. So again, whether that is, you know, being curious and going and hiking and doing jujitsu or going to an acting class, like you're going to need a level of health and fitness to, to, um, show up at your, as your best self and whatever that whatever it is that you choose to do. Yeah. So what does it mean to be healthy and fit? Is it like BMI and it depends on the person or not? Yeah, well, absolutely. It's going to depend on the person. And of course, it's going to depend on like, you know, what are your goals? And particularly when we start talking um, on the fitness side of things, you know, fitness, we can get into some unhealthy behaviors, right? right. Um, not everything under the, the um, banner of fitness is actually going to be healthy. Um, again, I mentioned jujitsu and it's like, well, MMA and kickboxing is a lot of fun, but getting kicked in your head <laughs> is 
an absolutely unhealthy activity. So while yes, your cardiovascular health would have improved, like your, I would say your overall uh, well-being is probably taking a hit there. So um, I, I do think there's some distinction there. And in general, I think when we talk about the health side, we're looking at uh, there. There are some you know some normatives in the sense of like we know if you're carrying high levels of body fat, like there's going to be some um, much greater potentials for some health ramifications down the road. So getting those things in check. And, but then there's, you know, the other side of the things are things like sleeping better. Um, and just, I hate to say like the non objective things of feeling better. Like that's the stuff that really probably keeps people going is how good they feel when they actually do take ownership of their nutrition. They take ownership of their, uh, physical health and and exercise. Yeah. I like that you said non-objective because there seems to be two worlds of health and fitness. There's the very real subjective or objective side of things where, you know, you can measure, you can see all the numbers, but then there's that subjective side of just like, well, um, you know, I do feel better or, you know, the thing yeah. can't quite put and a that on. Yeah. And that's the stuff, honestly, I think that keeps people going in the long haul. Like there's no question, right? Like if you get your nutrition, you get your exercise, your lifestyle in order, and you start seeing, you know, cholesterol numbers improving, you see, you know, your, you get your lipid panels done and everything's better and your, you know, fasting glucose and all, all of these like actual tangible health things improve. Like obviously you feel better, but mm -hmm. no, or by losing the weight, like no one's going to continue down that path because they're so excited that, you know, their uh, <laughs> resting heart rates lower. They're going to continue because of these, again, non these kind of subjective feelings of just feeling really good and it's probably one of my most fun things is to hear somebody trying to describe that who has kind of crossed the bridge and kind of reclaimed their health and turned the clock back a bit to where it's like man they're like i just feel good i can go out and do stuff and like i got energy and i'm playing with my kids and like yeah. you know I, I went on this hike and i would never have done that trail and like that's exciting stuff because that's like the juice of life that you're that you're really getting back yeah. And as someone who works with people, and I, I imagine you really do start with setting those goals, you know, uh, I mean, I love the phrase, the juice of life. And in a way that that can be a very real goal for people. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, most, so I specifically work with men that they tend to be entrepreneurs and business owners, but ladies who are listening to this, anything that we tactically talk about it, it it's relevant to you as well. And I've worked with many women over the years. Um, you know, most people do come and start with, uh, oftentimes a body composition uh, challenge, right? Like they, they, they want to lose weight. Like, and again, that is an indicator of some things that have gone awry if you are significantly overweight. Um, and by making those adjustments that are required, all of a sudden, these other things that they didn't even really think were going to happen, those are the, the, again, that juice of life. That's the stuff, the, the big rewards, because you don't really know when you, it's, you know, it's like, imagine being sick your entire life and then not realizing like, wow, there's like a fifth gear of health to where you've just never really tasted it before. So it's really hard to kind of envision and future pace that. Right. Um, so some of those tangible goals of like, Hey, I want to lose 20 or 40 pounds and the actions that are required to get one there, then bring all of these other benefits of, you know, bringing confidence into it. And again, all of the other just feel good emotions that, that really, I think, uh, is what keeps people in the game the long haul. Right. Interesting. You, you used a phrase when we had our initial email conversation that that really has stuck in my head. 
And I don't know if it's one of those phrases where it's like, you know, that sensational, like I'm going to grab people's attention or if it's very real. But the more that I think about it, I'm, I'm guessing it's more real. But why is it the responsibility of business owners as leaders to be healthy and fit? Yeah. So I think, you know, if you are, if you, you run an organization and you have people who are looking to you as, as a leader of, you know, what the, the value of this job and company can provide for them. And if it, it is, if it's costing you something that should be almost a fundamental right, it's like, I can't think of a more depressing situation to step into, to realize like, wow, by coming into this company, the, the, whether it's the workload or the organization or the, um, the, the community, um, or again, the leadership is going to set me up to have, you know, illness. Like, oh gosh, like I can't think of a more depressing environment. But yet, that's <laughs> right. that's a lot of places. And you know, I, I've worked with guys who are, are are running companies, and it's like, hey, like you, you have an opportunity as a leader to where like you can set that company company culture of like bringing in stand up desks. You could st- set a company culture of. Um, helping foster healthier food choices in break rooms. And like you have an opportunity to um, radically impact someone's overall well-being. And that is, again, I think your, I think it's your responsibility. I mean, I can't think of a worse thing than like, I mean, you would never pack your, uh, your break room with cigarettes for your employees, <laughs> but you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll do some other things that are also leading to negative health outcomes. Yeah. What one of the the uh, phrases that popped up in my mind as you were describing it was the whole um, movement against sleep. Yeah, and like the hustle culture, and mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, I've worked with. There, there are seasons of life, right? Yeah. Where, um, you know, I've had I had a client who nine years of his business comes down to the FDA, you know, making a decision, and he's got to get these things to him, and it's like. Yeah, sleep's gonna get sacrificed. Like workouts are probably gonna, you know, get sacrificed. Hopefully, we have some foundational lifestyle habits that we fall back into. Um, so that is a small blip on the on the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you 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 to sacrifice sleep, man. It's it's killer. Um, there's just a lot of data that shows you're going to make unhealthier food choices. There's gonna be some hormonal disruption. And the best advice I can give somebody is, you know. If you a don't think you need much sleep, but you're drinking a lot of coffee, I would say pull the coffee out and let's figure out what your sleep really looks like, <laughs> and then recognize that just like with exercise, that the time that you committed to that additional say hour of sleep, you're going to buy back in productivity. Mm. What's That's interesting? A one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough well, one. I can it just is. hear it in your voice too of just how challenged you are as someone in health and fitness as it relates to sleep. Yeah. And I'll be honest, myself personally, sleep uh, my entire life has been very challenging. Um, you know, uh, my, my wife can fall asleep with a, a forklift going off and a jackhammer <laughs> being on the deck in the middle of the day. She can just take a nap. And I've had roommates in college like that. And sleep has always been difficult for me. But um, and, and I've paid consequences for it when I don't get adequate sleep to where it's like I get run down and I get, you know, a respiratory type issue. And so, um, for me, it's been very palpable as far as the impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond having, like, if you're not somebody who actually gets sick, from, sick from it, you're going to, you are going to pay some, some consequences in other areas. So yeah. it, it's tough. And I think you got to recognize that 
you know, there, there might be some seasons and times in business, particularly for folks. Or again, if you're say a parent to a newborn, like obviously your sleep is going to be disrupted clearly. Um, so you need to do the best things that you can to like create good sleep hygiene, you know, getting the, getting the lights off at night, uh, avoiding, you know, avoiding all the bright lights at night. Um, you know, using blackout curtains, keeping the room cold, noisemakers if you need it, um, supplementation if it's required. But like, yeah, really prioritizing and recognizing uh, sleep's important. I'm obviously cutting cutting caffeine earlier, and you know, trying to not rely on alcohol to to be your sleep tool because it's not really going to help you. Yeah. What What's interesting as you're talking, you you mentioned you know falling back on health foundations, uh, especially in those moments of life where you know, you have to make some temporary changes. What are some of those foundations that we all should be thinking about? Yeah. So this is like, here's a great example of what I mean by that is I'm not recommending that anybody um, become a vegan. That's not a necessary um, requirement. And I think personally, it creates some nutritional challenges and that you, you can be a very healthy vegan, but you just have to like be a little bit more diligent about sourcing specific nutrients. But one thing that a vegan does very well is, you know, vegans, like they are vegans, right? Like they don't eat <laughs> vegan, like they are vegan. Right. So a vegan, if you were to take them out of their environment, or again, if the chaos of life comes up, they don't just like trip and fall into like, well, I had to eat something. And then they ate like a steak, right? <laughs> like they're going to figure it out. And when you can create what I'm going to call more of these like foundational lifestyle pillars um, and you have your nutritional habits in place and you, ha- you have some type of exercise routine that even when um, in a movement practice, even when life gets busy, um, you're just going to default to kind of what's normal. And so like those food choices, they're not even really choices at that point. They're just kind of the way that you exist and the way that you be to sound like a California hippie. And <laughs> once you have that, like you might have to make little adjustments and they're not ideal, right? Like, right. okay, I can't, maybe I can't get to the gym. Great. Okay. So, or you're traveling. Well, you're going to do a, some hotel workouts of body weight, which, you know, maybe that's not ideal, but because you have this foundational habit of knowing that exercise is important, you're going to be able to get in a minimal effective dose regardless of the environment that you're in. And this comes kind of across the board on our nutritional habits um, uh, and our exercise. And then again, like a movement practice, like to give you another example, you're not going to like, well, because I got out of out of whack and work got busy and I had to travel and all of a sudden like I smoked a pack of cigarettes. It's like, <laughs> well, that's that would be weird, right? If you're not a smoker. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. It sounds too like the foundation is really establishing your identity as a person and how that identity is shaped by your habits and and what is important to you. Yeah, and this is something I do in my coaching practice. Um, actually, just have a very short video, and and uh, when I work with guys, it's creating their their personal fitness identity. Mm-hmm. And it's really just starting to think about, you know, who you are through that lens. And again, this is where I think it's very skewed for most people because if you go on Instagram and you go online and YouTube, like most people's introduction to fitness is going to be through, say, the bodybuilding community, which right. there's massive utility and and great um, information and tools there. But oftentimes, if you're, you know, watching a YouTube channel from a 22-year-old fitness model whose entire life revolves around exercise, yeah. it's like that's not really relevant to you, who's maybe building your business or, you know, raising your your two kids or whatever your personal situation would be. Um, but you can still create 
a level of that fitness identity within the constraints of of your life. And so, you know, a very easy one would be like, well, can you be the fit dad? And if you start to think of yourself as the fit dad or the fit entrepreneur, and it's like, well, what what decisions would you make differently as the fit dad or the, the fit entrepreneur that maybe you're not making now? And, you know, a really great example would be, well, maybe after the kids game, everybody goes and they, you know, they go to the restaurant to all celebrate the win. And, you know, everybody else is having six beers and you as the fit dad, you know, you have one or two or whatever, whatever the, the constraint that you would need to put in. But when you start to make those identity based decisions, it gets a lot easier because it's not it's not trying to resist. It's actually moving more in flow with kind of who you are. Hmm. Yeah, that that sounds a lot like how willpower in a lot of ways is a depleting resource. So the more yeah. it's not a challenging decision, you're you're relying less on that and more on what matters to you. Yep. And you should get to, and you should arrive to a point for anybody who's listening to this and is dealing with maybe some of their own health and fitness challenges or like they, they're recognizing like, all right, I got to, you know, I need to turn the clock back. I got to get in this. And it shouldn't have to be something that's so extreme. It should fit within your life. And at some point, once you've done the work, and this is again, I, I tell people, this isn't the beginning. You know, I front load a lot of, a lot of like, there's some information, some learning that you got to do when I, when I work with people. But at some point, we should make it out to the other side of this to where it really more exists in the world of like brushing your teeth. It's like something that you do all the time, but you don't really consume your mind with it. Yeah. And I really see the people who are consumed with this are the people who haven't crossed that bridge yet, who are constantly trying a new diet, trying a new workout, and they really haven't just put the pieces together. They haven't made those, you know, more fundamental lifestyle changes. But once you do, it's like all of this stuff should enhance your life. It shouldn't take away from it at all. And it should take up minimal, um, minimal mental bandwidth. Of course, there's going to be a time allocation, but there should be very little minimal, uh, excuse me, there should be minimal mental uh, bandwidth that's like taken up by being a healthy fit person. Yeah. So as you're talking, Luke, I, I'm hearing you say so many amazing things about things that we can do to really have a strong uh, connection to our health and fitness. What are some common mistakes or misconceptions, though, that maybe stop entrepreneurs in their tracks or get them off track? Sure. So I think the biggest one is thinking that this all in all out mentality. Mm -hmm. And I see this a lot in the entrepreneurial business owner space because man, when you go to create a business, like you're going all in mm -hmm. and your physiology doesn't quite work that way. So the idea that like, you know, if you have a cookie, like it's a cookie and like context matters. So I really think giving up this idea of like all in all out, mm -hmm. um, that really holds a lot of people back. And those are the people that you constantly see who are starting and stopping workouts and diets and they never quite get there. And if they just realize, man, if I just pulled it back and realized, you know, taking a mantra of um, more often than not, I eat this way or yeah. more often than not, I'm active more often than not, I, I work out that would allow you to stay in the game long enough to actually see some pretty substantial results. So you got to drop the, the all in all out mentality and understand actually it doesn't take probably as much as most people think, right? Like I can't tell you how many guys I work with when they fill out an intake form and I ask how many hours can they dedicate towards exercise specifically? Cause again, we have other activities we have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't tell you how many people say, uh, seven, an hour every day. And I'm like, cool. Well, 
we don't need to do that. Like you do not need to actually do legitimate exercise every day. We need to be active daily, but we don't have to exercise every day. So understanding it's not as time um, costly as I think most people have uh, made it out to be. And really we want to step in with a more of a minimal effective dose strategy. Mm. Uh, and then I would say the last uh, one would be understanding that diets, particularly if we're talking about weight loss, that fundamentally all diets are going to work the same and they do require what would be a calorie deficit. So we have to take in less energy than we expend mm -hmm. to create a negative um, uh, a, a calorie uh, deficit, which is going to drive the fat loss. So how you choose to achieve that, whether you go carnivore or paleo or <laughs> vegan or whatever, right? it's about finding a way that you can most easily do that that is going to maybe check a few boxes, which is, A, you enjoy it and you can see yourself doing it longer term. It makes you feel full. It gives you proper energy to work out. And uh, yeah, the big one, you can see yourself doing it long term. So don't, don't fall into the trap that there's this specific mechanism that any one diet is going to activate to create fat loss because that's just clever marketing. <laughs> Or and, slimy marketing, I should say. Yeah, exactly. And cl slimy, clever marketing only works if you're a 22 year old. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it's, it's funny because well, not funny, but it's just kind of it, it makes me chuckle when I think about YouTube and and just the amount of education that's on there, and the how often we sometimes miss the context of. An everyday person versus you know someone who's like doing said activity eight hours a day. Yeah, and it's you know even you know you look at Instagram and it's like the videos that are going to rise to the top are going to be the most sensationalized. Even like if we come down to like the most simple level of just even an exercise. And, you know, I've seen this, you know, on my own Instagram channel where, you know, I, I posted a video of me doing like a chin up with my legs extended in like an LC, L sit. So like that would be a more advanced chin up. And I'm like, wow, that actually got more views. Hmm. And again, that would be something like, I don't do that often. And you wouldn't start there and you probably don't even need to do that. <laughs> right. But that's like the most viewed thing. And so there is this like, just sensationalism that comes with it. And obviously content creators have to like create new content. So like what you don't realize is a lot of the, a lot of this is just getting some certain things set in place and then it's just rinse and repeat and doing a lot of the same thing over and over uh, versus like constantly trying to like create something new, but that's what's going to drive a YouTube algorithm. Right. Well, it's, it is interesting how often myself, and I'll just kind of say that in it, before I dive into what I'm going to say is, is like too often I treat my health and fitness like a YouTube algorithm. <laughs> like in that, it, yeah, it peaks and drops and <laughs> peaks, drops, you know, what do I need to do to get back on top? You know, and it, and it's yeah. lumped in with how I think about that and, and the, the food I choose to eat and the apps I use to track things. And it, it all just becomes this frustrating level of you know unhealthiness yeah this is I, I explain this by saying don't treat your approach to your health and fitness as a marketing launch treat it as a business plan <laughs> i love that and this is what i mean we're like it can be a lot simpler once you've had it done because that's what we want to eliminate is those peaks and valleys 
And instead, if we, you know, if we could ride pretty consistent, but below what you likely think is required. And like, I'll give you like a number example. Mm -hmm. Somebody says, I'm going to work out 30 days this month. And it's like, okay, so you worked out 30 days and then they stop. Versus if you took those same 30 workouts and you stretch them over the course of three months and you worked out three times a week with a really intelligent program, plus you obviously do the nutrition you do some of the lifestyle stuff, Mm -hmm. you now would have a three-month change and now you have habits and now you probably will keep it. And now you're actually going to have the result. And by the way, along the process, you enjoyed it more. You had a little bit more free time. You had a little bit more leniency. And like, but you know what? That's not sexy. It's not Mm -hmm. sexy to even post and tell people like, hey, I'm going to go moderately approach exercise and nutrition (laughs) and a lifestyle approach that I could do for the rest of my life that makes me lose weight, feel great and, you know, have energy and look better. (laughs) Instead, it's like, I'm going to go crush this challenge and I'm doing this detox. And it's like, ah, guys, like that won't get you there in the long haul. And I think a lot of people, truthfully, I think they hide behind that um, because it's like almost a built-in excuse to quit. Oh, I'm doing something so intense that like nobody could really blame me at the end of it when I don't keep this. But it's like, mm-hmm. hey, if you're not willing to like step up and do three to four workouts per week, modify, you know, your your alcohol intake, modify your nutrition, modify your sleep, like some just normal healthy things. Mm-hmm. It's like that's a conversation that's a little harder to have with yourself because you think, I know I should do this. Now why am I not? Yeah. Ooh. That really brings up an interesting question then of the use of physical challenges then to break us out of those, I guess, patterns that sometimes we need to shake up and and expand. Just like when when we're growing our muscles, sometimes you need to push a little bit beyond so that it can break and heal uh, and, and allow you to get stronger. So how can physical challenges help us build uh, resilience and push our comfort zones? Love this. And this is something I am passionate about. And this is where we start to talk about the, I don't want to say unhealthy fitness side, but we're leaning towards that direction. And so I believe physical challenges are probably one of the best tools that we have to work on the mental resilience. Mm. Whereas most people, they approach these extreme physical challenges, hoping to expedite oftentimes, say a fat loss experience. I'm going to run a marathon (laughs) to lose weight. And it's like, okay, or you could get in shape and lose weight to run a marathon. And there's a little distinction there. But yeah, man, physical, just like that acting class, um, your physical body is an amazing tool that we all have access to, to show us a limit and show us that we can exceed that perceived limit. And I use this as an example often. Rucking is a great tool um, where going out on a, it could be a long hike it could be a short one and obviously your personal fitness level is going to dictate this if you're a you know extremely overweight at this point like going for a long walk man like that's a physical challenge yeah uh, you know maybe it's hiking alone you've never hiked alone um to have your physiology to impact your psychology it's like we all have this gift uh and access to this beautiful tool to use and um something like rucking can be a good tool again jujitsu could be something uh, it could be surfing. It could be something maybe that seems a little bit more fun to somebody else. Uh, maybe wrestling around with strangers isn't fun to to everyone. Um, but it really is just the idea of 
you're going to find a physical limit where you want to stop and you're going to have an opportunity to have an internal conversation with yourself about, are you at your capacity? And oftentimes what you're going to find is, okay, you can go a little further. And I think that is an extremely valuable skill set to develop. Yeah. Because, I mean, mental resilience is everything in, in everything in a lot of ways. Yeah. And when you do try to leverage that, again, I actually suggest it to, to anyone who like, if you are deconditioned and out of shape and like do the foundational stuff first, like take a, take a lifestyle approach. Again, stretch that 30 day thing into three months, think six months. But then once you have a foundation of health, like now you can start to lean into these, um, these more intense and extreme things, but you don't do those to get in shape. Like that's not, you have it backwards. And I, I would suggest to anyone, you know, listening to that is, do you still take a health first fitness second approach to that, like degrading and breaking your body down um, at, to build mental resilience is a loss in my book, but there are safe ways, right? Mm -hmm. To where you can still push that limit, go beyond what you thought you were capable of, but in a safe manner to where, you know, you're not degrading tissue, breaking down joints, creating osteoarthritis. And like, you know, there's, there's uh, we can overshoot that side as well. Yeah. I can't help but start thinking a little bit about burnout right now, because as you're describing, you know, our physical health, our mental resilience, there's often, you know, something where you go too far. Maybe it's physical burnout. Maybe it's mental burnout. You know, how, how do you think burnout is related to a person's level or relationship with health and fitness? I would say someone who is a healthier version of yourself is going to be better at not succumbing to burnout. And you can just think of it as you're just a more highly you know, tuned machine that can just simply take more stress. Um, I think a lot of the burnout that I see in clients that I've worked with, the biggest, the biggest point of contention is just the general stress and then lack of sleep. Mm -hmm. And exercise, if they're not doing it, is a great tool to actually inject, even though it seems like we're adding in, which we are, but like to physically blow off some of that stress in a real physical output versus having it be consumed. Again, we can use our physiology to impact our psychology. So there, there's some, some low-hanging fruit for people who are dealing with like stress, anxiety, and burnout that if you are not leveraging your physical self to start there, but then of course, obviously like stepping back and, um, you know, this is not fitness coaching per se, but I will say this, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you're thinking of, when you're thinking of, uh, work and, uh, projects, one thing I will offer to clients, it's like, Hey, if you're going to have to start it tomorrow anyway, hedge mm -hmm. for the sleep. Now, if it's due tomorrow, like I get it, like man, you got like you're gonna be up till four working on this thing. A presentation has to be done, like it's gonna happen. But if it's something that, like, yeah, this is a three month project, and it's like you can't burn the candle for three months straight and not expect negative outcomes. And if you can recognize, like, hey, if I pull back tonight, I sleep, I wake up, I'm actually more fresh, I'm more clear, um, I'm gonna be more productive, and I can get further ahead on this because. Man, operating from a really high level stress state, good luck. Like, good luck being productive. And 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 people are, but this is where the actual crash comes from. And it's because they've they've been redlining for so long, and they think they operate well in that zone, but they don't realize that actually, if they pull back down, 
to you know a five instead of a nine, it's like right. man, it's smooth sailing, and I can go so much further. But yeah. people are just you kind of get addicted to that to that nine. Yeah, well, it, I would say we get addicted to the perception of how other people will look at us if we're operating at the nine. Yeah, well, and you could always say, well, okay, well, I think you should just why not work more then? Like, why not stay up later? Like, why do four hours of sleep? Do two. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like you're going to draw the line somewhere, right? Uh, no. You know, like, like, I mean, your kid at one, they don't really know about their birthday. So that one doesn't matter. But eh, what about 10? Yeah. They'll get over it. Skip that one too. <laughs> you know, so, so we are going to draw the line somewhere. And for, for, I think for people who are possibly experiencing burnout, it is going to be to pull it back, bring in some physical out activity to, to basically eject and off put a lot of that emotional stress and then reevaluate um, how you can navigate whatever those tangible and real activities that you are having to juggle because they're real. Like that work project's real. Your kids is real. Your divorce is real, whatever. Like it's real. Yeah. Well, inevitably you're speaking to someone right now who is sitting at their desk for long periods of time. What are some ways that they can inject some health and fitness into their daily life? I get asked a similar question often. I've, I was actually approached by the news here in San Diego to come on and say, can you show us some exercises people can do at the, in their chair? Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah, I could show you some like stretches to offset the, the postural ramifications of sitting at the desk. And they're like, no, no, no. We're like, and then of course the producer sent me some like exercises. She's like, yeah, you could show these. And I'm like, that mechanically creates more postural dysfunction. But you know, they're like little leg lifts at the desk and right. all this nonsense. And so here's my toolkit that I use with clients who are strapped at the desk. You have to first recognize that sitting in that fixed position, which both I or I'm doing right now, oftentimes when I, and we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> what I should be doing right now. Um, but sitting in this fixed position, even if I'm sitting upright, good posture, my hips are still sitting in what's called flexion and the fascia is sitting in this position and things are going to start getting tight. And if we stay in that position long enough, now when we go to stand up, we're going to lose the ability to get into hip extension. And I won't go into this full kind of mechanical breakdown, but we really do start to see some postural degradation and some movement inefficiency start to, re to rear their head. So in addition to the biomechanical side, your caloric burn is obviously going to be significantly down when you're um, seated. Mm -hmm. So some things that we can do that I think you can actually inject that aren't going to be like, hey, let's do leg lifts while we're sitting there. <laughs> like that's not, that's silly is, okay, well, could we consider using a stand-up desk some of the day? And I quote some of the day because there's going to be activities that like maybe require you to sit down. If I have to do anything with numbers, my brain is not smart enough to keep my body up and do math. So <laughs> like I'm going to sit down for that. But if I'm doing maybe a coaching call or oftentimes a podcast like this, I'd actually be standing up. I'm, I'm happy to be sitting today. Um, but finding what tasks you can task switch to a stand-up desk. Mm -hmm. um, again, calls are very easy because most people are using Air, Air, uh, AirPods at this point where not only could you be standing, you might be able to, depending on who you're talking to, if the camera's on, you could possibly even pace. And that would actually bring up the, the caloric burn in a, in a significant manner, to be honest. When I say significant, significant over the long term. Um, yeah. And 
we want to really just break that cycle. So for some people, perhaps this would be doing a 50-10 work uh, day where you work for 50 minutes and then you take a 10 minute break and like go for a 10 minute walk. Mm-hmm. You come back, you're a little bit more clear headed and then you get right back to, and you work really hard for those 50 minutes. Um, so we have to absolutely just break that cycle of being fixed at the desk. If you're somebody who is totally strapped to the desk and I've only had, I think one client use this that took me up on it. It's like there is a treadmill that goes under your desk. It's like the size of a cube and it can only go about two miles per hour. So you couldn't run on this thing. You slowly just shuffle. But like the caloric difference on that for like this guy's weight, it would have been about like a 600 calorie bank that he's probably getting by using that throughout an eight hour day. And like that 600 calories is significant. It could be maybe some more fun food or offset some like quote bad food if he's having to take a meeting and have you know a beer with a with a another client um and you just have to recognize that sitting at a desk is absolutely incongruent with your body's expectation as a human animal <laughs> and there is no getting around that so we just need to break that habit and uh i use a little mantra of the next position is the best position so if you find yourself stuck for a while boom stand up try to walk see if there's some activities that you can actually inject into maybe a standing walking version. Mm, I love that. And what I love about that too is it speaks back to the responsibility of business owners as leaders, but also ourselves as as just workers, being clear in what we need in our daily life. Yeah. And and recognize, you know, particularly if you're say in a corporate space, like you might be a little bit of an outsider, but gosh, man, look at what like the average person who's, you know, unhealthy, overweight, dealing with you know, anxiety, depression. I mean, I shouldn't say that's the average, but there's there's quite a few. And it's like, yeah, be the be the one that like, okay, they won't provide it for you. Spend the money and get a stand up desk. Uh, be the weird one that uses that. You know, <laughs> like if you're gonna work in that environment for the next ten years, like there's a cost. Um, if your workplace, you know, does uh, they provide lunch, but every lunch that they go out is you know some fast food. Like, well, budget it in that like that's not actually a working perk for you. Right. Like, and you're going to bring your own lunch or you're going to make a different purchase. And you may have to be a bit of an outsider and you're going to have to be, you know, comfortable with that and being, being comfortable, being a little uncomfortable. And uh, you're going to have to go against the, the grain a little bit, perhaps. Yeah. I love that. Well, Luke, as we wrap up our time together, what's one thing you want listeners to take away from our conversation? Uh, yeah. The, the biggest thing I would leave people with is uh, the, the work that's required to, kind of right the ship on your health, fitness, wellness, and well-being. It is not as hard as I think most people make it out to, uh, make it out to be, but that the reward is far greater than what people imagine. And until you've kind of, again, crossed that bridge, you won't realize like how good it feels to feel good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, final question for you. What book, podcast, or resource is currently blowing your mind? So a podcast that I'm really enjoying, and I will preface with, for the average person, this might be getting into more minutia than they would find um, interesting or necessary, but um, uh, Andrew Huberman, who is a Stanford, I believe, um, runs the Stanford Neuroscience Lab, I think. He has a podcast called The Huberman Lab, and he just deep dives into 
um, the science around, you know, all sorts of metabolic topics and sleep and nutrition and exercise and cold therapy and, you know, saunas and all, all of this kind of like, I'm going to say like level two stuff. It's not where, you know, somebody should maybe start their, their health and fitness journey. Um, but it, it, it can get into some minutia and he does a great job of explaining and, and giving you tangible takeaways. And it's, it's just a very interesting podcast. That's awesome. Well, Luke, thank you so much for bringing your passion and your wisdom to getting work to work. There's so many ways. I hope people will listen to this and learn from it. Uh, I, I know that I am learning a ton from you today. Thank you. Awesome, dude. I love that. I sure hope you enjoyed this conversation with Luke. I sure did. Be sure to check out his website, livegreatlifestyle.com. You'll also find the link in the show notes page, gwtw.co slash 625. He has a ton of great resources on his site that will help you to not only make better decisions, but to build muscle and increase your confidence and your energy. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.